Boy, that's a scary thought when my name's rolled around in your head. <laughs> Man, it bothers me when that happens and it's my name. So I can't imagine the torture he must, and I've been second choice most of my life. It don't even bother me anymore, brother. And uh, he shot me a picture of the flyer after he invited me to come, and I wasn't even on it. I said, well, people will come hear that now. People will come hear that right now. I was told before service, where's Dave Young at? There's Dave. I was told before service, Dave, by your dad not to flatter myself. You did not come to hear me preach. <laughs> Should I let you stand up and tell these good folks why you came, Dave? <laughs> I wouldn't do that to you, Dave. Pastor Williamson, thank you so much for the invitation. Gethsemane, thank you for your hospitality already. The accommodations are just out of this world. Everything that this church is known for is first class. Amen. And your pastor does a good job representing his Savior and representing you around the country, everywhere he goes, around the world even. And I have a just tremendous level of respect for him and his family. Uh, I was met in the vestibule when we walked in the door by Scott. And he reminded me how old I was. He said, uh, he said, you were my first camp counselor. He said, I was 12. And now he's married and started his own family. And I was like, well, thanks, Scott. <laughs> good times, brother, good times, right? And uh, which means I was a lot younger back then, too. We're in the book of Luke, chapter number 15 tonight. Luke, chapter number 15. And I know what you're probably thinking now. Well, we've heard all these. Yeah, you probably have. I stole this from your pastor, matter of fact. And uh, so you probably have heard all these, but you may not have heard it exactly this way tonight. There's nothing new under the sun. I don't have any, anything at all that I will bring out that probably in some way, shape, or form you may or may not have thought on. But I will say this, from the opening statements made by the pastor to Brother Brown's message tonight, boy, I tell you what, that really that done something for my soul. And, uh, you know, when you come to a meeting, you just, you pray the whole time leading up, you know, Lord, I want to be in my place. I want to, want to do my part. I want to be, the Holy Ghost has got a direction, I believe, for every service. And I just want to find his will. But it was like between the pastor and Brother Brown, there was like, they was cutting out a rut. And I just, I knew from where the Lord had led my heart that uh, I'd heard up to this point right. And so I'm excited about that. But we do have a time, uh, you know, frame that we're trying to stay inside of tonight. And I know you've probably got peaks on your brain. And so I want to just uh, real quickly, we're in Luke 15. I'm going to be really starting in verse 11 and working my way down through verse 32. But for the sake of time, I, I just want to say a few things about, because it is a lengthy passage. Most of you tonight are aware of this being the story of the prodigal son. And in verse number 11, the Bible says, and he said, he of course being Jesus there in the chapter given multiple parables. And he said, a certain man had two sons. When we talk about this text, a lot of times the prodigal son gets all the spotlight and uh, because he really is just this picture of the mercy and the goodness and the grace of God. So what you have in verses 11 and 12 is it's introduced and then in verse 11, or excuse me, verse 12, the younger shows how cold his heart already is while he's in the home whenever he basically tells his father, you're dead to me, but can I have my inheritance because I'm really ready to fly the coop. And then about verse number 13 down through verse number 19, we read the story of where he leaves his father's house, goes into a far country, wastes everything that it was his on riotous living, the Bible says. And then about verse number 26, or excuse me, verse number 20, he comes to himself and he comes home. What a beautiful picture of the mercy, goodness, and grace of God. I'm so, I'm so glad that part of the story is there. The, the, the church of Jesus Christ is, 
is, is absolutely populated with people who can relate to that part of this story. I'd like to pick up my reading tonight in verse number 25, if I could. The Bible says this. Now remember, the, the parable is introduced that a certain man had two sons. Not just a son, but two sons. And in, you and I are introduced to the second son in verse 25. He stayed home, and now the other son, the prodigal, has come back, and this is where we pick up the story. The Bible says in verse 25, Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which had devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again, lost, and is found. Now I want to say this, this, this evening I understand that for the most part, the story when it's preached, there is a concentration here that exists solely upon the prodigal son. And there's an understandable amount of rejoicing for that son that comes home. That's what the church, we do that. I mean, we love to see folks come back. But I'm afraid oftentimes we miss a very, very important part of this text. And it was the inheritance of the son that stayed. Look in verse number 31, the Bible says this, And he said unto him, now he's, he's understandably distraught. He's never left home. He stayed back and tended the farm side by side with his father. And when this other brother that has wasted it all comes back, he sees a party unfold. But watch what his daddy says in verse number 31. He said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me. And here is the phrase that just catches my heart tonight. He said, and all that I have is thine. Now, I want you to listen to me well tonight. I want to make sure I handle the scriptures uh, in a very responsible way. But I promise you this. When it comes time to settle up at the judgment seat of Christ, it will not be the same for everybody. I contend with you that most likely, now most likely, both of them stood to inherit the same amount of their father's goods when he died. However, the one took his early, left, and wasted it. And the father reassured the other son when he was distraught because a party was given for his brother who had shamed his father's name. He said, son, let me, let me calm your nerves a minute and understand something. All that I have is thine. Everything that you see on this farm, son, belongs to you. Now, don't you think for one minute that the coming home party erased what the other brother did. He had already lived up his life. He had already wasted all the goods. And when dad dies, listen to me closely, and it's time to settle up the inheritance, what they got was like night and day. 
The one who stayed home got it all, and the other that had traded his inheritance for a fleshly good time, I bet he wept as they read the Father's will, looking back on a life that had been wasted in sin. So here's what I'm preaching tonight. You can have one of two things. You can have the fling, or you can have the farm. And the title of tonight's message is simply this. It pays to stay on the farm. For the young people here tonight, now that we have this weird creation called social media, you're watching kids jump the fence week after week. And they're leaving the father's house and they're going to a faraway country to have a fling. And that whispers in your ear because it entices your flesh. And if you're not careful, you'll make the mistake of leaving the farm yourself. Thinking, well, you can go have a fling and then you come home, everybody has a party for you. But I want to say this right here, as you'll learn tonight, it sure does pay to stay on the farm. It pays now and it's really going to pay come judgment day. Bless you and I pray. Father, we love you this evening. We thank you, Lord, for what we've heard thus far. The songs that have encouraged our hearts to worship. The preaching, Lord, that has, dear Lord, driven our hearts closer to the cross. And then, Lord, tonight, the presence of God that has met with us already. Lord, we, we confess right now that we need you in this very moment. I pray you to hide me behind the cross. May folks not see me, but may the word of God grip our hearts tonight. And give us life-changing truth for your glory. And anything that's accomplished, we'll make sure you alone get the glory. First, in Jesus' name we ask and pray, amen and amen. The settings for the parables of Luke chapter 15 revolve around the crowd that is gathered to hear them. If you'll look back in verses 1 and 2, the Bible makes very clear who's there that day that is listening to these parables of Jesus. The Bible says in Luke 15, 1, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And then in verse 2, the Bible says, And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. We seemingly and without fault see these parables unfold applicable to those two different people groups that are there. There are sinners and publicans and there are Pharisees. I'll show you what I'm talking about tonight. In verses 4 through 7, we have the parable of the lost sheep. No doubt that applies to those publicans and sinners because they are lost outside of the fold. But then in verses 8 through 10, you switch gears and it goes to the parable of the lost coin, the one that is lost inside the house, which no doubt applies to the Pharisees, lost inside of religion. And then you come down to verses 11 through 32 there and you find the parable of really... Two lost sons. If you really want to get theologically down to where the rubber meets the road, you got one lost who left the home, and many people believe there was the one that was still stayed and lost inside the house. So Jesus ministers to people by preaching to them, not about somebody that ain't there, but by somebody that is there. Now I want to challenge that general rendering of the way we look at this text tonight just a little bit from the standpoint of this. I don't believe we're wise in completely relegating the son that stayed home to strictly being a Pharisee. 
Did he have some pharisaical tendencies? Absolutely. The pharisaism that come out in his life was the way he looked down upon his brother who had went away from the father's house and literally ravished his life with riotous living. He had a bad attitude and a bad spirit. And can I say this tonight? You and I should always be like the father in the story. When anybody comes home to the father's house, we shouldn't worry about where they've been or what they've done. We should just rejoice that they've come home. So yes, he did have some pharisaical tendencies. But if we believe his character can only point to the Pharisees, we're going to miss an excellent truth. And that truth is found again in verse number 31, where the father said to this, this, this son of his, the older son, he said, all that I have is thine. Now we know this tonight, God's not teaching us that the Pharisees are going to be heirs to the kingdom. There is a secondary application here, and I believe it it basically would apply to how God is going to settle things up based on what you do with your opportunity. As a matter of fact, this parable, I believe, paints a very accurate picture of what the judgment seat of Christ is going to be like. There's coming a time when we're all going to stand there at that judgment seat, and we are going to give an account for our life in its totality since we've been saved. The Bible tells you I, and I in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse number 10, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every man may receive the things done in his body according to that which he had done, whether it be good or bad. If you're here this evening, young person, that applies to you. There's coming a day when God's going to de- uh, give out rewards. He's going to, uh, I guess you could say, divide up the ante, so to speak, and it's going to be according to what we've done with our lives since we became a son through salvation. Matter of fact, mark your place there in Luke 15. Go with me, if you would, to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want you to see this with your own eyes tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. When you get there, if you would, say amen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, look in verse number 11. The apostle Paul says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. In context there, he's talking about laboring with and for our God, building upon Christ as your foundation. Let me stop and say this. He better be the rock you're building your life on. Religion will take you nowhere, friend. It's about a relationship. you got to have a relationship with Jesus before you try to add to it anything at all. And so Paul said, for wise, we'll build upon that foundation of our relationship and we'll build, as we're getting ready to find out in the next verse, very carefully. Because what you're building is either going to bring you reward or it's going to cause you to suffer loss. What is what he says in verse 12. Now, if any man build upon the foundation gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what, not size, but sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Watch what he says in verse 15. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. We're not talking about a place where our salvation is, is, is uh, under review. Our salvation's already been settled at the cross. But what he's saying to his children is this, the decisions you make and the path that you take is one day going to come under review of fire, and that fire is the word of God. It'll be tried by the truth of this book, not what everybody else is doing, what not some theologian tells you you can do and get away with, but by the truth of this word. And he said that for those of us that have built with our lives gold, silver, and precious stone, there'll be reward. But for those that have 
allowed their flesh to get involved and they've built their lives on that foundation of Christ with uh, wood, hay, and stubble. He said, that'll burn up. And when that burns up, you'll be saved. Yet so is by fire. Now, it's interesting here that at this judgment seat of Christ that we can both gain reward and suffer loss. And then I find it interesting. Watch what he goes right into in the very next verse, verse number 16, to show us this, 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 that our adversary is no doubt our flesh. He says, know ye not that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy for the temple of God is holy, the temple of God ye are. Can I say this evening? Listen closely to me, young person. There's no doubt that you will experience some type of temptation in your life to follow the crowd. You'll see others sometimes leave the camp, seemingly go away and have a good time, and then they come back, and yes, we do rejoice as we should. But you need to understand something when it comes time for an inheritance. Those wasted days and wasted months and wasted years where they added to their resume wood, hay, and stubble. It's going to burn up. And God has reserved the ultimate inheritance for those that stayed on the farm. Those who stayed by the stuff. There will be a grand payday coming for those that didn't jump the fence, didn't leave the Father's house, but stayed by what God had for them in their life. Go back with me, if you would, to the book of Luke chapter 15. And with what time we have left, I want to try to walk you through the text and show you what we can learn about how it dispays to stay on the farm. The first thing I want you to recognize back in Luke chapter 15 and verse number 13 is I'm going to talk to you momentarily about what I call the truth about the fling. Remember, I told you you can either have a fling, in other words, let your flesh run wild, or you can have the farm. And here's the truth about the fling. Watch what happens in verse 13. He says, the Bible says, And not many days after, after being after he had received his inheritance from his father. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, took his journey into a far country, and there, the Bible says, wasted his substance with riotous living. In other words, he did it. He, he jumped the fence. He had his fling. He literally enjoyed the pleasures of sin for a season. Exactly what Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 25 told us that was available to us was there are, look, it would be silly this evening for me to tell you there's no pleasure in sin. That's a lie. There is pleasure in sin, but the truth about it is, is it only lasts for a season. I don't know how long that season is, but it's just a season. Those seasons do come to an end, and the fruit of that season is that it does always end. As Brother Brown was preaching tonight about, you show me somebody that's been out there on the other side for a while, and find me somebody that's got true happiness in their life and are satisfied and fulfilled, and the truth of the knowledge, if it's been there long, they won't be. There's something missing or there's something wrong. So we see here in the word of God, the truth about the fling is right here that yes, he jumps the fence and yes, he goes down there and has a good time for a while. But then there's the fruit of the fling. You ready? Starting in verse number 14, we start to see, as Paul Harvey would say, the other side of the rest of the story. The Bible says, and most of y'all don't know who Paul Harvey is, do you? Ask your parents on the ride home. They'll tell you about Paul Harvey, okay? I'm sorry for using an analogy that did not fit the meeting, all right? In verse number 14, the Bible says this. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. The first thing we notice about the fruit of the fling is there's going to be some suffering. And secondarily, in verse 15, not only will there be suffering, but after the suffering comes shame. The Bible says, and he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and here is his new profession. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. He went from probably being a foreman working for his dad up on the farm. Now he's feeding hogs in a faraway country. 
We see their suffering, we see their shame, and then in verse 16, we see him starving. The Bible said, and he would have fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. Now listen to me this evening. You probably know people right now that have left the farm, and they're, they're back in verse 13. And everything's going well right now. But I promise you that if they're one of God's youngins, here's what's on the horizon that you may not have seen yet. Suffering, shame, and starving. And then eventually you have to deal with your sin if you're one of his. That's what happens in verse number 17 and 18. What's your Bible? And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, watch what he says now, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. See, when you choose to leave the farm to go have a fling for a little while, eventually one day you're going to have to make what I call is the walk of shame. Got to swallow that pride. And you got to get, I guarantee you this, before he left the farm, I bet you he was grumbling and griping about how hard it was to live at my dad's. He's such a stickler on these rules. And man, he pulls it so tight. We can't have anything. Can't have any fun. But when it comes time to come home from that fleeing in sin, you're not fussing about the daddy's standards anymore. You're just getting honest about it was all you to start with. And so we see here that the truth about the fling is this right here. It'll leave you high and dry. Yes, it looks good when you're in verse 13. But buddy, when you start living the reality of verses 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18, it's a whole different ball game. Can I say this to the young folks in the building tonight? Us older folks in here, when we talk to you about sin as candidly as we do, it's not because we're ignorant to what we're talking about. It's because we have a resume. Because we've been there and bought the T-shirt. We know about it. I believe you were an older teenager when you got saved. Is that right? Brother Bear, you were how old when you got saved? 31. I was 21 whenever I got saved. And so therefore, unfortunately, I spent time on the other side of the fence. I know what it's like. And I can tell you this, life is a lot better on the farm. Amen. Now notice this, we've seen the truth about the fling, but now let's look at the truth about the farm and what few minutes we have left. Back over in Luke 15, starting about verse number 29, you see this story start to unfold about the And we've seen the truth about the fling, and here's the truth about the farm. Just a few things quickly here and I'll be done. Number one, first of all, understand this. The truth about the farm is this, it does require... You don't hop back and forth across the fence over and over and over. It don't work that way. The Bible says this in verse 29, and he answering said to his father, watch what he said. This is the son, the elder son testifying to his father. He said, lo, these many years do I serve thee. Can I say this? The farm is going to belong to those who stay the course. I mean, just day after day, month after month, season after season. You watch a lot of people leave the farm, but you stay the course. You just stay on the farm right where you belong. You know where your bread's buttered at, and you stay around. And it requires that you do so to stay on the farm. In other words, wondering is not an option for somebody who's going to get the farm whenever this thing's over with. Now, I want you to understand tonight what farm life is like. For somebody to stay on the farm, there's going to be some things that need to be there in your life to keep you there. Number one, if you're writing anything down, you can write this tonight. You're going to have to have a life of satisfaction if you're going to stay on the farm. And here's what I mean by that. 
You only leave something you're not satisfied with. You know the reason the older brother stayed? He was satisfied on the farm. You know the reason the younger brother left? He wasn't satisfied on the farm. And so tonight I'm talking to somebody in this building whose heart may be torn right now. If you ain't careful, your satisfaction with the farm can wane sometimes in life. You allow carnality to start sliding into your life. You allow the world's uh, hooks to get in you. And next thing you know, the place you once loved, you now dread going to. Amen. I'll say this tonight. The reason some of us start looking over the fence is because you're not satisfied with things you weren't satisfied with. Two things will cause you to get dissatisfied with the Father's house. Number one, you ready? An appetite for the far country. You start looking down there or you get a taste of it. Next thing you know, you ain't satisfied around the Father's house anymore. There's only two things. Either, either, either an appetite for the far country or the only other possible avenue that could cause you to be dissatisfied at the Father's house would be this. You ain't really part of the family. You can't remodel. You can't remodel some rotten floors in it. You can't remodel, remodel something hollow. You can't stand walls where you ain't got a foundation. So in other words, what was farm like, life like? Number one, it was a life of satisfaction. Number two, it was a life of service. What's what he says in verse number 25. Now his elder son was in the field. This elder son didn't spend his life watching his dad work. He worked with him. If you're here today and you're saved, young person, you don't wait till you're 45, 50, 60 years old to start serving God. Get in right now. First of all, you should be experiencing a life of satisfaction on the farm. And then secondarily, you should be pouring yourself into a life of service. Buddy, I'm going to tell you what. You talk about something. You get busy enough for God, you ain't got time to mess with the far country. You ain't looking out in the far country. It'll make a change in things, friend. And then lastly, uh, farm life, not only is it a life of satisfaction and service, it's a life of sanctification. Listen to me now. You know why he stayed home? i tell you why he stayed home. Because he stayed clean. You know why the other brother couldn't? Because you couldn't live under that daddy's roof living like that. He had no other choice but to leave, listen to me now, to do what his flesh wanted to do. And I want to say this to everybody in the building. If you've got to leave to do it, it's a dead giveaway. It's wrong. Right now, if you're having to hide it to do it, it's a dead giveaway. It's wrong. The older brother stayed home because he had nothing to hide in his heart or in his hands. Everything was above board. Farm life's a life of satisfaction, service, and sanctification. So it requires you stay. Number two, watch this in verse 29. It requires that you submit. The Bible says in verse number 29, And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. What's this next statement? This is him talking here. Neither transgressed, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. You know the reason he never had to leave the farm? He never transgressed the commandments of his father because his father, commandments were in his heart that's why jesus said if you love me keep my commandments in 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 one of john's epistles john said it this way that whenever you and i are born again we love god keeping his commandments are not even grievous i'm not having to strain to do what god asked me to do i find it rather easy because I got saved out from a real hard taskmaster. Yes, he would take me on these trips down what he would call, amen, a lustful lane of pleasure. But he always left me high and dry on the end. But with Jesus, what I find is this. If I walk inside of the lines that he draws, there's joy. There's peace. There's a clear conscience. There's worship. So you see here that it requires that you submit. 
You ain't going to stay on the farm long at all unless them commandments get in your heart. Not only does it require that you stay and that you submit, but in verse 29, lastly here, we also see this about farm life. It offers you a surplus. Now watch what he says. Very last statement he made is this. He said, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. You say, well, hang on a second. How do you get a surplus out of that? He didn't get the surplus. Well, before I go into that, I, I want you to point out something to you. By the way, understand this. The one that stayed home had friends that stayed home. Did you catch that? If you got friends jumping the fence, guess where you're headed? But if you want to stay around the farm, get friends that don't want to stay on the farm. That's not what I'm preaching right now. I'm just saying it just, there's a big rabbit that run across the road. We need to talk about it for a minute. But here... Here's what he's upset about. Listen to me. He's upset because he felt like they're throwing a party for the wonder and yet never recognize his decisions. Just know this. Do we celebrate prodigals when they come home? Yes, we do. But just because nobody's threw you a party yet don't mean yours isn't coming. That's where he was missing it at. See, in his heart and mind, he's thinking, well, hang on a minute. I've been faithful. I've stayed here. I've served you. I've worked. I've never one time disobeyed any commandment you have. He goes off and blows it all, comes home, and they throw y'all throw a party for him. What he didn't realize was the statement that would be made later was when his daddy looked at him and said, now, hang on a minute, son. Here's what you got to realize. Yes, we're throwing a party because he's safe and alive but everything I got is yours. You know the reason that he had not had a party yet? Because his daddy was still living. See, when the brother looks at his dad in the earlier part of the chapter and says, give me my inheritance, you don't get your inheritance usually till they're dead. So to his father in his cold, callous heart, and can I say this, whenever your heart's blackened with sin, it gets cold and callous toward people that it ought to be showing trust, respect, and love for. Amen. So he tells his daddy, I, we really don't have any reason to, to bond anymore and be together. Just give me what's coming to me and I'm gone. Yet the other brother had stayed around, and because of that, there's a surplus coming down the road. Can I say this, that that rejoicing over the son that come back home. You know what that really is? A picture of the mercy of God. But the inheritance of the brother that stayed is a picture of the justness of God. Don't let that get by you. Yeah, there was mercy for the one that come home. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for mercy. There's been times I need mercy. Oh, I want to give mercy because I sure do need mercy. I say bring the prodigals in here tonight. And let's kill the fatted calf and let's rejoice. But in the back of your mind, you got to file this away. If you can't jump the fence and you're still on the farm, they may not be blowing the horn just yet, but the horn's going to blow. There's a supper coming. There's a judgment seat to stand at. It's worth it to stay on the farm. Amen. Let me illustrate it for you here for just a second if I could. Look back in verse 22. I want to show you what the son received that wandered and came home. I'll show you a little, we'll compare and contrast here for just a minute. The Bible says in Luke 15, 22, now this was, this was upon the coming home or return of the prodigal son. And in verse 22, the Bible says, this, but the father said to his servants, so now he's holding, he's embraced him, he's come back home. And he says to his servants this, bring forth the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring hither a fatted calf and kill it, let us eat, he said, and be merry. So when the, when the son comes back home, who's been down in the far country, who's wasted his inheritance, here's what he gets. A robe, 
a ring, a pair of Reeboks. Work with me now. And a ribeye. You see that? Now fast forward to the father dies. And let's compare and contrast. The prodigal son got a robe. But when daddy died, the one that stayed home who said, got it all, got a wardrobe. There's a big difference between a robe and a wardrobe. All right? He got the whole closet. About the size of this church probably, according to how wealthy his daddy was. The other brother got a ring. Do you know what the, why he had to give him a ring for? He was so probably unrecognizable because of the scars of sin. That ring in the community would identify him as a son to the father. When he was walking around the community, that ring told everybody, this is my son. But when daddy died and the older brother got the title deed to the farm, nobody had to wonder whose place is that. I don't know about you, but you can have the ring if that's all you're going to have when the smoke scales. Give me the 50 acres and the farm. The prodigal comes home and gets a pair of Reeboks. Who wants Reeboks? Right? But hey, dudes, it'll be a different story. I'm just picking. <laughs> he gets a pair of Reeboks. But I got a sneaky suspicion whenever the father died, the son probably got enough, enough, pair, enough shoes to have a pair for every day of the week. Maybe every day of the month. But this is the beautiful part, right? When the prodigal came home, he got a ribeye. They killed the fatted calf. Where'd that ribeye come from? Where'd that calf come from? Oh, it came off of daddy's land. So when daddy died, guess who got all the cattle? Now, would you like a filet mignon today? Or would you like one for the rest of your life? Am I right or am I right? Amen. So let me ask you a question. After the wheel was read, who's probably rejoicing? I'm going to tell you who's rejoicing after the wheel's read. The one that stayed on the farm. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, verses 13 through 15, again, Paul said this, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's shall, work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. I guarantee you when it comes time to read the will, and the prodigal had to look back and think about that stint of time he spent in the far country, away from the father's house, and then he got, he got, to, really, he got to really feel, Brother Brown, what it cost him. See, you can't feel that now. You've got to take God at his word. You've got to believe God is faithful. And by staying on the farm, it pays heavy dividends. Listen to this. Long after the robe and the rebox had worn out and the ring had lost its shine and the ribeye was gone, the inheritance of the older son lived on. Just understand this. Understand this, and I'm closing up. I'm about done. Those who stray... They need that celebration when they come home. They do. And here's why. In some cases, and I'm not, I am not in any way being, um, uh, uh, being, I don't want to be irreverent and I don't want to show a lack of compassion for anybody who's come home. Again, we celebrate the fact that that happens. But that celebration is 
sometimes helps them deal with the guilt of what they left and what they've lost. And I think young folks that are staying on the farm need to realize that's a good decision. It's going to be worth it. You're going to be glad you did. I mean, you're really going to really, really be glad that you did. But it goes to another level. Hang on a second. Now think about this. The two brothers. Think about when it's time for them to die. The only thing the prodigal could leave behind for his family was a ring. The elder brother would leave behind the title deed to the farm. We call that an inheritance and a heritage. That's, that's where it pays to stay on the farm. See, the prodigal left out of pure selfishness. And when you stay, it's not just for you. It's for future generations, your posterity, and some of them you'll never even meet. That's why, young person, it pays to stay on the farm. So here's the question tonight. How many young folks in the building this evening are going to make a decision? Choose to stay on the farm instead of the fling. I've been on the farm now for over 20 years. It's been a good ride. No sad stories to tell. I've watched some leave. I've watched some come home. Some hadn't yet. Tell you what, I'm thankful. I'm thankful so far by the grace of God. He's allowed me and helped me stay on the farm. Amen. You say, oh, you just saying that because you're an old dude. <laughs> okay, I concur. I'm an older dude. But listen to this. Here's what you don't understand. I can leave the farm tonight. Me and my age that have been saved this long and some of them preaching longer are leaving the farm. Yes, sir. <clears throat> You want me to tell you why I'm not leaving the farm, number one? Here's what I found out about the father. He's a hundred times better to me on the farm than anything I had when I was messing around with the fling. And not only that right there, but I want to leave more behind than a ring. Future generations of my family. So here's the question tonight. Is paying to stay on the farm right now this evening? Is that where your heart is? Because right now, if you've already got an appetite and you're looking off down the far country, before anybody ever makes a decision to leave, it starts with a look. If you're already looking, danger sign. See what I do in my heart tonight? I'd say, God, if you would please. Thank you, first of all, that I hadn't left the farm yet. But I want you to deal with any and everything in my heart. It's got me looking off down in the far country. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Pastor's coming.